draw people unto you. We love you. We are so thankful this morning that you loved us first. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What's up, guys? Good morning, everybody. Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Michael, and uh, this is my last Sunday here at Lyman Baptist Temple. I want to thank Pastor Al and the rest of the staff uh, for eight great years here, and also thank Pastor Al especially for taking a chance on a young buck, and uh, as well as giving me the opportunity to share with you guys this morning um, as me and my family um, transition to another church. Um, as I was thinking and preparing for the message today, um, I really felt pulled in two different directions. Um, so what I did is I took those two directions and put them together, all right? And so you're going to get two for the price of one today, and, uh, but it's not going to be overly long, okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Um, and as we're making this transition to another church, another ministry, uh, it reminds me a lot of my life 11 years ago. And uh, yeah, you're going to want to bring this down just a little bit. Uh, usually someone tells you about their story into ministry um, when you meet them, right? When you first encounter them. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit uh, this morning, you know, as in this farewell message. Uh, but the title of the message is Jesus, My Everything. Jesus, My Everything. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school in Colcord, Oklahoma, um, I got involved with a ministry that I attended during the week um, because, you know, we're in a little rural town, didn't really have an awesome youth pastor or great uh, youth ministry in town. So there's just one a few towns over that I started going to. And I remember going and just thinking about how awesome this was and how much these people love Jesus. And I started going my, my, sophomore, or my junior, sophomore to junior year of high school. And, you know, sophomore, junior year, you're starting to think, you know, what are you going to be doing with the rest of your life, right? It's, it's in that stage of you're like, what am I going to do when I graduate high school? You know, am I going to get a job? Am I going to get a vocation? Am I going to go to college? Um, you begin to think about those things. And like any good student, you know, I was a good student. Um, and you start applying to schools, and you start applying for scholarships, and all this stuff, and you start planning for your future, and you start planning, this is what I'm going to do, this is the decision that I'm going to make, that I'm going to make for the rest of my life. And so I started planning, filling out stuff for scholarships. I got enrolled into a college uh, midway through my senior year. I went ahead and enrolled in this college. Um, I was planning on going into electrical or mechanical engineering uh, that was my dream, is to go into electrical or mechanical engineering. And I did a lot of, you know, just living for myself, planning for my future, planning what does Michael want from life? What does Michael want to do? And I remember being a part of this ministry and going to their camp, and um, there was something different about them. They're, they loved Jesus, and you could see it, and it was evident. And when you get around a bunch of people that love Jesus, and they show it, and they express that they love Jesus— it's kind of contagious, and it kind of gets you wrapped up in it and, it, and you get excited about it. And so I remember my fi final year at this camp, I told everybody there, hey, I'm coming back to Ohio, I'm going to go into ministry, and I'm going to, you know, God, God has put this call in my heart to go into ministry. 
And so I plan to do that after this week of camp. And then, you know, after camp dies down, you know, you've seen your students. Um, they're on this spiritual high, and they start to come down a little bit. And, you know, on this spiritual high, I made this decision, and, um, and I remember struggling with it and wrestling because I really wanted to go to school for electrical or mechanical engineering. I really thought I was gifted at it. I thought it would be perfect for me. I thought I could make a decent amount of money at it. Uh, and so that was where I really wanted to go. And I really struggled with it because I, I had made this commitment to go into ministry before people and before God. But then I also had already made a commitment prior to that of going to college. And so I wrestled with it. I struggled with it. And I, I just prayed. I mean, when you're wrestling, when you're struggling with something, you pray about it. And I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, you're going to make it 100% crystal clear. You're going to provide all of the money that I need for my first year. That's a lot of money. Back then it was. Now it's like, you know, not so much. Um, but I prayed that prayer, and literally a few days to a week later, I got a phone call from my stepsister saying, hey, my boyfriend is going to work in North Dakota in the oil fields, and his boss asked him to bring someone with him. I'm like, sign me up, um, because you're up there making $20 an hour. You're working 16-hour days. That adds up real fast. And so I went and worked in North Dakota right after graduating high school, earned all the money I needed for my first year in ministry. And to me, it was a clear sign that God has called me into ministry. Not only did he put the impression on my heart, but he provided the resources I needed to take that step. And so I worked in North Dakota, drove up there from Oklahoma, drove back down about a month later to Oklahoma. Then I drove from Oklahoma to Ohio, and I've been in Ohio for 11 years, eight of those years here at Lima Baptist Temple. And it's been a ride, right? It's, it's, it's been crazy. I can tell you so many stories over the last 11 years. Those first three or four years in ministry were even more crazier than the last few. Um, but I want to talk about, um, as we make this transition, and it reminds me of these experiences 11 years ago, you know, some of those same things are going on in my mind, right? I'm trying to sell a house here, trying to buy a house there, trying to figure out transportation, logistics, all this stuff. Um, I'm both, uh, you know, when God calls you to something, you get equally in a place of being excited, but also being terrified, right? When, when, when you know God has called you to do something, you're in a place of excitement, but also being fearful. And you're like, what is this next chapter going to hold? What's going to happen? And I remember having to make this decision as a 19-year-old at a high school um, with not a lot of wisdom. Um, but I remembered that when God called people in the Bible to things for him, like Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Peter, Paul, the list goes on. When God called these people to do something, um, there was something different. Yeah, they were, they, were, they were excited, but they were also terrified. And so what makes it easy to surrender? What makes it easy to say, okay, I'm a 19-year-old, I'm moving from... Oklahoma, 13 hours to Ohio, where I don't know anybody, where I'm going to have to get a job. Yeah, I got the money, but I'm still going to have to get a job. Man, my first two years in college were paid for. I had all the scholarships, all the funds necessary for my first two years in college. And so to, to, to step out of that financial security and into faith, you know, it took a lot. And so what made it easier for me to make that decision? What made it easy for people like Peter and Paul in our minds to make the decision to surrender completely to the calling that God has given on their life. 
And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though, I'm, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul explains here that if anyone can be confident in the flesh, he outdoes them. If anyone can be confident in who they are, who they are fleshly, Paul outdoes them. Paul's parents followed the Hebrew customs to the T. He was taught by the greatest Jewish teacher of the time, Gamaliel. He memorized 613 laws found in the first five books of the Bible. He memorized the first five books of the Bible. How many of y'all struggled to memorize more than 10 verses, okay? He had the whole five books. He was found blameless compared to the law. This world and those who are in authority over you are going to want things out of you. They want to push you to achieve things in life, and that's not all bad, but let's look at the next part of the text. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness derived of my own, but one which comes from the law, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul considers his life rubbish. In other words, he considers it crap compared to knowing Jesus. To know Christ isn't just to have an intellectual brain knowledge of him, right? To know Jesus is not just to know intellectually who he is. It's to experience him personally. It's to share in his sufferings and to share in his victory. For us to be considered righteous in the sight of God doesn't come from following the Ten Commandments and dotting every I and crossing every T. It means that we have a relationship and a longing to walk with Jesus every day. Everything you and I can accomplish here on earth, graduating high school, going to college, building something for ourselves, getting a successful job, getting married, having a family, making enough money to leave something for that family, all of that is worthless. It's all considered rubbish. It's all considered crap compared to knowing Jesus. Your iPhone, your car, your house, your 401k, your string of pearls, whatever it is that you're spending so much time in life on, resources, time, you're spending so much resources and time on trying to accumulate, trying to build something, trying to make something happen, it is all worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Let's read some more. 
Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul uses the analogy here of a runner in a race, not yet achieving or reaching their goal, of someone who hasn't finished the race. We should have an attitude of humility and obedience. If anyone has an attitude of pride and disobedience, pray that God would reveal that to you because it's not an attitude of a true believer. That word straining forward, Ben's going to come help me with this, but I want to show you guys what it looks like. Okay, I was going to use... An illustration that I used with some students one time of a toilet, um, but I thought you guys might be a little too mature for that. Um, so Ben's going to help me, and this is the idea of straining, okay? I want you to imagine you've got this ladder, and let's say, okay, those light bulbs are way up there, so I can't reach them, but imagine there's a light bulb up here, and you need to change it. It's out. You're like, okay, I see this needs to be done. Now I need to take action to do it. And you step up a few ways, right? And you're not there yet. And you keep going. And you keep going. And you're at the top, right? And you're like, I can, oh, I can actually almost reach that ceiling. I can almost reach it. But it's still not quite there. And so then what you do, I'm not going to do it. But <laughs> you step on the top rung, this part right here where nobody spoke, where it literally has a sign that says, do not step, okay? But men don't listen, right? <clears throat> None of you women would do this. So you step up here, right? You're standing on the edge where you shouldn't be standing, where your, where your mind, your cognitive behavior, everything tells you don't stand here, signs. And you stand here anyways because you've got to reach the bulb, because you've got to accomplish what you've set out to accomplish, but you still can't reach it. And so when you're on here, you stand on your tippy toes on the very edge, and you might call your wife over to come hold the ladder. And you barely just touch the bulb with your fingertips, and you're able to change it. And you slowly put it back down, take a new one up, and you change the bulb. That's what it looks like to strain. It looks like giving everything you've got, sometimes making decisions that don't seem reasonable, but you've got to accomplish something, and you're straining and reaching with everything that you have, every ounce of who you are, every part of your being, you're straining to reach it. That's what Paul is trying to get you to grasp here. The people of Philippians, us today, he's trying to get us to understand that we have to give everything to reach Jesus. We have to give everything to accomplish the mission that he's given for our life. And all of our missions look different. Straining, giving every ounce of you. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of you, for many of whom have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
and from it we await a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul here gives them another warning as he closes out this chapter. He reminds them that a lot of religious people, a lot of people who were in the church in Philippi, a lot of people aren't really striving for Jesus. They're simply giving in to their fleshly appetites. Their God is their flesh. Our appetites are not always our belly. Sometimes our appetites are for more screen time. Sometimes our appetites are money. Sometimes it's to look good or earn respect from people. That's not of Jesus. He doesn't care how much money we have or if we have a degree or what kind of car we drive or how big our house is. Jesus cares that we are giving, not giving into our flesh and that we are striving and straining to be more like him. To be more like him, straining, giving everything we have. If Jesus is your everything, if you can really say that, you're going to give everything you have to him. Your time, your money, your resources, your talents. Now, you're not going to be perfect, okay? Get that out of your head. You're not going to be perfect, but you're going to try. You're going to strain forward. You're going to give it what you got. I think one of the best ways that we can strain towards Jesus, one of the best ways that we can strain to be more like Jesus is how we worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When I say worship, most of y'all think singing in a church, right? Because that's what we have attributed worship to. Um, but the reality is, that's only part of worship. Worship is how you live. It's also how you worship in singing, in songs. And so worship is a proper view of and response to God. Worship is a proper view of and response to God. God creates within us the ability to experience his wonderment and the wonderment of the things he does and creates. A life of worship is simply this. It's a response, both personally and corporately, to the greatness of God for who he is and what he has done. So when we're in here and we sing songs about God's greatness, we are responding to who God is and what he has done. Some of us don't do that very well. When you sing, are you responding to who God is and the greatness of what he has done in your life? I told the students before, I'm like, you know, when I sing, some people, when they sing, they just remember the words and they just sing along with it, you know, they're, just, they're singing. Me, I'm trying to, like, take in it almost like it's the word of God because it is truths found in the word of God. And so I try to imagine when I'm singing these songs, when I'm reading these lyrics across the, screen, across the screen, what is this mean to me personally? What does it mean to me? And then I respond in that moment with maybe a raised hand or, or maybe I sing an octave higher and it don't sound so pretty, but you know what? I gotta shout it because I'm excited and I'm passionate about what God has done in my life. You know, when we see or experience something amazing, we begin to value that thing. 
And what we value, we end up worshiping. And what we worship, we end up imitating. And what we imitate, we become. That's why David ended up being called a man after God's own heart. David's heart became like God's heart because David worshiped God. Worship is responding to who God is and what he has done, but it is also a reverberation and imitation of Jesus. Worship is a reverberation or an imitation of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that when an ambulance or a fire truck or a police car is driving, you usually hear them before you see them, right? You're usually going to hear the siren before you actually see the vehicle and the lights. That siren can echo through a whole neighborhood before you actually see the lights of the vehicle. I want you to ask, have you ever thought about what is the noise that you're making with your life? What is the noise that you are making with your life? When people see you coming, what are they hearing before you ever get to them and say something? You know, sometimes, I got an illustration here. I think sometimes that we might sound a little something like this. Or maybe we sound something like this. Or maybe we sound like this. Or maybe we sound like this. Believe me, just watch. So what is the noise that you're making with your life? When people experience you, when they are around you, what is the noise that they're hearing? Are they hearing these noises or are they hearing something more like this? You see, when we accept Christ, when we have this spiritual awakening in life, we go to camp, we go to retreat, whatever it is, maybe God's come through in a miraculous way, we begin to sound like this. We begin to give, be responding to who God is and what he's done, and we begin to reverberate and imitate Jesus into people in our life. And we do a really good job at first, but then what happens is we start putting these acoustic tiles in our life. Maybe it's expectations. Maybe it's what people in authority think that you should act like or think that you should talk like or think that you should respond. Or, or maybe it's unrealistic expectations that your parents or your boss or somebody that puts on you and you're like, well, these people expect this from me, so I've got to act this way. They expect something, so I've got to do that. Maybe... It's material things. Maybe it's, I want comfort. I want the latest fashion. I want the latest iPhone. You know, those people that stand in line for the new iPhones, right? Whatever it is. Maybe it's uh, a big house or a nice car or spending a bunch of money on how we look or cosmetics. We, we, we put a, a acoustic tile of materialistic things around us. Maybe... It's our pride. 
It's like, what are people going to think of me? I'm going to act a certain way. I, I'm going to focus on certain things or I'm, or, or I'm going to have a, a lack of humility. Maybe it's peer pressure. And so people around you at work, people in your life, they, you know, they pressure you into things. And what happens is, is these acoustic tiles begin to drown out and block the noise that God wants to make through your life. The noise that he wants others to hear from you. And we put all these acoustic tiles in our life and, and what happens is, you know, when you got saved, you didn't have these. When you gave your life to Jesus, you didn't have this. You were like, I've experienced the greatness of God, who he is and what he has done through the cross. I have a hope, I have a future. And man, if you, find, if you know somebody who's accepted Jesus recently, you can just see it on them, right? Like they just exude joy and happiness and, and great and, and just thinking about who God is and what he has done and, the, and what happened on the cross and, and they reverberate and they imitate this in their life. But with age, we start to change. We start to get, maybe we've heard it before and so we can become hard-hearted a little bit or a little callous because it's just, it's just the same, right? You know, it's the same thing every week. Sunday church is the same thing every week. And so, you know, we just come in, we sit down, we drink a coffee, we, you know, we stand up for worship when Robin tells us, we sit down when he tells us. You know, there's this routine, and eventually that routine, you start getting more of these acoustic tiles. And as you grow older, it seems like a lot of people begin to think more about their self-image, the people around them, what people expect, they got to be mature, right? I didn't use the toilet illustration. And we begin to drown out the sound that God wants to make in our life. A lot of these things have a direct connection to the fear of man, not the fear of God. We're focused on what are others going to think of me? What are others going to expect of me? And then we want to fit ourselves into that cookie cutter example. But the thing is, you were never meant to fit in a cookie cutter Every one of you are different. Every one of you, God is doing something different in your life. And you need to respond to the greatness of who he is and what he's done in order for that reverberation of Jesus to be heard in your life, in order for people to hear the music of your life and what God has done in your life, these have to go, right? You have to get rid of those things. You have to say, I'm not gonna care what people think about me. I'm not gonna care what people expect of me. I want people to know Jesus. I want people to experience Jesus. I want people to see me respond to the greatness of who God is and what he has done. And when we begin to imitate, we begin to reverberate the sound of Jesus, it sounds a lot like John 13, 35. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus could have said that anything would show that they were his followers, but he said love. Of all things that could point to Jesus, loving one another in this world is going to make you stand out. You're going to look different when you love people. People are going to know that you're different. Your life is going to sound different than most other people's lives in the best way possible. Jesus wants people to see Jesus in you. He wants to be a reverberation, imitation of himself in your life. 
And you've got to get rid of these acoustic tiles if you're going to do that. And you've got to love people. Everybody. Everybody. Your enemies. President Biden. Whatever. Whatever you want to put in there. You have to love those people. That's what's going to make you stand out. That's what's going to tell the world that I am a follower of Christ when I love people. And so as we get ready to end here, and as Robin comes and, and begins to play, I want you to think about what has God done in your life? What has he done? And you may say, well, I get to go to heaven. That's it? I mean, come on. How awesome is that? That we get to go to heaven, that we get to enter into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, through the cross. Don't lose the wonderment of your salvation. Don't lose the enthusiasm of what God has done in your life. Keep it on the forefront of who you are. And so as we get ready to end here, what I want you to do is I just want you to stand and I want you to respond to who God is and what he has done. And to the goodness of God. Stand and respond to who he is and what he has done in your life. And maybe you don't need to sing something on the screens. Maybe you don't need to, to do whatever. What I want you to do is Close your eyes. Imagine what has God done in my life. Look back at the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. What has God done in my life? What can I be excited and passionate about? And I want you to respond to that. Go ahead and stand, and Robin's going to lead us.
Maybe two more. One more for sure. Um, Rob is going to play um, what he's done. And just the chorus. And I just want us to sing it. Um, it's one of my favorite songs right now because it reminds me of what God has done in my life. And I just, let's just hear everyone, just everyone sing as loud as you can, okay? All right? Just sing as loud as you can. One more. I'm going to teach you a new one, some of y'all. My students know it, so they'll be fine. Um, but it's a good one I learned several years ago that I like to bring out every now and then. It's going to require you to move a little bit, okay? All right, you okay with that? All right. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Yes, he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, yes, he is good, for he is worthy, worthy, for he is good, yes, he is good, for he is worthy, worthy, for he is good, yes, he is good, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, yes, he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, yes, he is good. For he is worthy, worthy, for he is good, yes, he is good. For he is worthy, worthy, for he is good, yes, he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, yes, he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, yes, he is good. For he is worthy, worthy, 
for he is good. Yes, he is good, for he is worthy. Worthy, for he is good. Yes, he is good. <clears throat> Remember who God is and what he has done in your life, and don't forget it. Give it everything you've got, strain forward to, with every ounce of who you are to be more like Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, and God, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come into your house and to worship you. God, I pray that each and every one of us in here, Lord, would continue. God, we haven't reached it yet. Most of us in this room may never reach it, but God, I pray that we would strive forward, that we would strain forward with everything that we have to reach it, to be more like Jesus, to love people, to be a light in the darkness. God, I pray that we would uh, remember what you've done in our life, and so that would be easy for us to be light in the darkness. It would be easy for us to shove love, to show love to people who don't necessarily deserve it in 